Okay, so here we are today. It is the uh, afternoon of Tuesday, September 10th, 2013. We've just all, uh, I don't think any of us maybe watched it live because Apple decided not to stream it, but we all got the chance to sort of read and look at all the pictures from the big iPhone announcement that happened earlier today. And uh, this is a 5x5 special. If you're new to 5x5, Check us out at 5x5.tv. I'm Dan Benjamin, and I have some people here in the studio and some people remote. And we'll start with uh, my, my good friend, Christina Warren. She's up in uh, New York City. She writes and uh, does a whole bunch of things over at Mashable and a whole bunch of other places. Hey, Christina, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. It's good to have you back. We used to do a show a long time ago, and uh, any chance I get to record with you, um, I'm always happy to do it. And, you know, we, we, we do uh, ladies, and then we do guys. So I've got Hattie Cook, my uh, account manager producer, sitting across from me, just back from her Hello. wisdom tooth surgery. So she sounds a little weird. <laughs> That's why. And she says she's going to stay quiet. We'll see if that happens. Welcome back to work, Hattie. Thanks. I'm really glad I'm back. <laughs> okay. And uh, new, new to 5 by 5 we have uh, Benedict Evans, who's an analyst, coming to us live and direct from the UK. Benedict, I'm so glad that we find This is the first time we've met. And the first time we've ever spoke. Welcome to the uh, welcome to Five by Five in the program. Hello, and hard to believe it, folks. The one, the only. The one, the only. Horace Dead, you from asimco.com and and tons of other places. Does a show right here on Five by Five called Critical Path. Horace, we're recording again in person. Oh, you don't know how good it's. It feels so it's, good. It feels, it feels natural. So good to hear your voice again. You know uh, that that melodic charm. Dulcet tones is is the phrase you're looking for. That uh, thank you. Well, welcome all you guys. Welcome. I don't know how to start about this. There's been so many rumors circulating around this, and I think you know where where do we start? I mean, we obviously I, I don't care about how the you know the iTunes stores do. It's not interesting to me. I know I know you guys write about all that, but let's just jump in and start with with the phones because that's what people are interested in. That's the the meat of uh, the issue, right? So. Let's start with the 5C. Uh, Christina, let's start with you. What do you, what do you think of this? You're, you're writing about technology of all kinds. You're not in the Apple camp in any stretch of the imagination. And you've been, when I was talking about Android phones, you had every single Android phone. You had the Moto X, you had the HTC. How does, how does like picking the 5C first, how does it add up to those devices in your opinion? Well, it's really interesting because what they've done is they've kept the, the 4S around. They're still going to sell the 4S, which is odd to me, but okay. Uh, there, I'm sure that there's a business case to be made. Uh, but the 5C is basically the iPhone 5. Um, it might have even had a couple of minor improvements, but it has uh, a new casing and new materials, which I, I imagine is going to make it more um, efficient to produce. So probably they'll probably get better margins on it and um, potentially better battery because the battery is a little bit better. So it's really interesting in that they're giving you a really good phone for that, that price point, um, which I think is is interesting. You know, a lot of us, we were talking about, and the, most of the rumors predicted exactly what was announced today. Uh, people were expecting a, a lower cost iPhone, and, and that certainly has happened. Uh, we'll need to wait and see what the actual unsubsidized price of this is. But I think it's interesting that they um, really, just because they went lower cost, they didn't go cheap. And, you know, the result, there were some rumors that they would do things like not include Siri and and cut out some other features, and, and they didn't do any of that. You know, it seems like this is a, a real... A uh, full functioning device that is probably going to appeal to people who might be in the camp where they don't want or or can't afford to get the highest end model, uh, but the sort of people who have been 
uh, really pulled towards the actually, I mean, honestly, the HTC One because that's the price point it's selling at, and, and even the uh, the Galaxy S three, which is still selling really, really well. So um, I think it's really interesting. I mean, it, it's it's a great phone, and I think for the price point that they're bringing it in at, it's going to be really attractive to a lot of people. And and the styling, honestly, I think that as, as silly as colors might seem, it's one of those things that worked extremely well for the iMac, extremely well for the iPod Mini, and and the Nano. And I, I think it'll work really well for the the five C as well. So Benedict, what do you think of this? You've been writing a lot about the 5C and and what a device like this might mean. What are what are your thoughts on this especially in regards to like the price point, knowing that you know because you just had a piece that came out what was it September there it is September 5th. And here's what you said, and I I'm just going to quote you to yourself and then you can respond. You were breaking this down and saying what price would Apple choose? And you said 100 to 150 bucks. You said this is where budget Chinese manufacturers are starting to deliver usable dual core 3G Android phones. And you go on to 150, 200 and break it down. What are your thoughts on this and the fact that it starts at, uh, at 99 bucks? Well, it doesn't start at 99 bucks. It starts at over $500. Um, and the average selling price for Android is sort of 250 to 300. And show me you've got a rather nice new Android phone out in China at about 330 bucks. So. I mean, there's, there's a couple of things you can say. Firstly, it's not prepay, um, and that rules out over half the world's population. They, they've basically not gone cheap. What they've done is they've maintained more or less their current pricing, pricing strategy, but they've put a more attractive model in at that, um, you know, in, in the middle of their range. Right. They, had, they had a phone at this price before, but it was last year's phone. And so the interesting question is, does having the colors and having it be new mean that it'll sell more strongly than if they continued the old strategy of selling, effectively selling the iPhone 5 at that price from today onwards. Does having those colors, does um, having that marketing positioning mean that they'll sell loads more? And the answer is they probably will sell more than they would have sold if they just marked 5 down by 100 bucks. Um, But they're not opening up the availability of the iPhone to people who just couldn't afford that price. Um, and there's a lot of people out there now who want a smartphone and are maybe interested in downloading apps and are buying Android mainly because they can't afford an iPhone. Now, you could argue that they're buying Android because they prefer it, but they're not being offered an iPhone at a price they can afford. And Apple's kind of continuing with that policy of kind of camping out in the top 10, 15 percent of the handset market and ignoring the next 40 to 50 percent that's converting to Android. Horace, what's your take on this? Well, I think uh, yeah, um, Benedict made made the the right call. I think the the way I'm reading it now is that the expectation was that the C would be the low end and the S would be the high end, and that would be a split into two up and down type products. What we're seeing actually is that the C is really more of a center product. Um, I'm actually toying with title for a blog post called C is for center. <laughs> the, the, the idea is that it's, it's actually the old product, which is the five reskinned, given a facelift, but really I think it's positioned to become the mainstream product. Mm. The S is becoming the premium super high end, whereas before those 
the high end used to be the middle. It used to be the core market, and then there were sort of these leftover products. Now, I think C is becoming the center product, S is becoming premium, and then there's still an old product that's the low end. So I think I think the subtle thing here is, although the pricing is slightly lower than the, uh, than when you take out all these subsidies and everything, the 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 unlock price becomes a little bit lower. But I think the expectation is that may actually be the top selling. The C may come out to be the top selling product. The the um, oh, wait, um, like Christina Warren mentioned though, the four S still exist it's still out there and and that's now i think wasn't it the was it the 16 or the 8 gig it's 8 okay so the 8 gig that's now the free phone right but again as far so i don't think about the user pricing i think more about what apple obtains in terms of revenue per unit and so the revenue per unit on the 4s will probably be around 450 to 500 and i think we're seeing the C at five fifty to six hundred, and then the S will be six fifty and above. Uh, Benedict may correct me on this. I, I have I'm not looking at the numbers directly now, but I think the the this was the pattern before with these same numbers. But those bottom two units would be an older generation product. In fact, the C is an older generation product. It's just been been reskinned and refreshed in terms of of it just looks different. I think there's nothing fundamentally changing. And again, Benedict said the same thing. There isn't a change in strategy here, except perhaps positioning the C as the as the center product, as probably the most popular product. But that doesn't mean much about growing the market. Mm-hmm. I think it's not going to address vast mass mass new markets as as you would imagine in in Asia, China and 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 uh and India, the the Chinese market might be boosted a bit by the sea if there's enough subsidy being allocated to it, and that's another th- question we haven't heard yet. Right uh, there, there, there is uh, there is another press conference coming up in China. I don't know if that's going to be news about uh, China Mobile or anything like that, uh, or they're just going to re- repeat what we've just heard. But that that I don't think there's there's a fundamental shift except in this subtle way of repositioning the middle product as being the n minus one product what i used to call n minus one meaning it's slightly older but it doesn't feel old that's the difference here and it might mean though the pricing overall might come down a bit if that center product becomes like the 80 percent of the volumes it may not become 80 percent because we still have the U.S. market, which is highly subsidized, and I think many people will go for the high end in the U.S. Let me ask you a question, Horace. Um, what do you think? I mean, we've seen it's been actually interesting to see the subsidized prices on the iPhone 5. Walmart lowered the price down to $100 a few weeks back, and, and earlier in the summer they'd gone down to, I think, 125 and that's what they were selling it at and, and quite successfully. Uh, and and from what, I, from what I've heard directly from them, they've been seeing great demand on that. Do you think that this repositioning is kind of maybe a, a tacit um, representation that, A, we've kind of reached, at this point, we're kind of at... Uh, a peak point in terms of performance and and, and software, and, and there's not a whole lot more you can kind of do uh, right now. We're kind of at a, a wall in terms of um, where you know processors and, and software, at least in relation to battery life, is going. There hasn't been a huge difference between generations um, in the various phones, so it makes sense to 
shift expectations, as you said, to making the the C, the, the mainstream phone, kind of like the MacBook was for a long time versus the MacBook Pro or, or the 13-inch MacBook Pro was for a long time. And um, because we're at that kind of that, uh, we're at that plateau point, um, the $100 price point is, is is for, I guess, still some of Apple's key markets where, where they think they can probably maybe get the most bang for their buck in terms of, of really pushing sales, especially for repeat customers. Well, I think I think what you're asking is really has the iPhone and smartphones in general to reach the point of being good enough. Um, even the five version, which is what the five C really is, is that really good enough so that we don't really the most people will not rush into five S. They'll they'll still be happy with the five C. I think I think that's that's probably the tacit statement here. The only problem is that or not necessarily a problem, but it is an interesting, uh, you have to position that with the question that this is still going to depend on, in the U.S., on subsidy, because as you can see, the unlocked prices are 550 for these products, which which means that, that Apple has going, is going to have a problem in in the markets where that is too expensive. So as Benedict pointed out, 250 is probably the more of the price that people are willing to pay for an unsubsidized phone in a prepaid market, um, a smartphone of a good quality. The So in the U.S., I think they're, they're going to do very well, but they've been doing very well in the U.S. That is not the problem area for Apple. The problem right. for Apple is more internationally, although in, even so, 60 to 70 percent of their sales are international. They could be a lot higher if they could address these much lower price points. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is whether the 4S can actually fill that gap, even though it's not even, even that's not going to be cheap enough. Um, so so in, in some ways, I think 5C is a bit of a disappointment that it wasn't an aggressive, low-end, let's really go for market share product. I think it's a nice way of sustaining the strategy they've had it is very distinct also. I'd like to sort of compare that to what they've done with the iPad, where they've actually gone down in price, taken a hit on the margins, and really been aggressive about really protecting the low end with the mini. They haven't done that with the iPhone. I was expecting the C to be the new mini. It isn't. The C is the old five. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the um, the C. It looks to me like this is going to be a significantly higher margin product. Um, given that you've got this quite simple plastic case, you don't have all the glass cutouts, you don't have all the milled aluminium. Um, so that could even be taking the gross margins up. Um, whereas, as Horace says, you know, when the original, and there's a really interesting difference in the pricing strategy here because the iPhone is double the price of perfectly good Android phones still. And they're not as good as you know, high-end Android or high-end iPhone. But they're perfectly good in the way that, you know, Ford is perfectly good, but not as good as a BMW. Whereas in tablets, they came in with the original iPad at 500 bucks when people were saying it would be 1000 And then the iPad mini, they came in again with an aggressive price. And so there's much less of a price window underneath the iPad. And the iPad is also at a, a significantly lower gross margin than the iPhone. And so they're just taking a, a really different approach in how they think about market share and how they think about price and margin. Yeah, I, exactly, price. exactly right. And, and, and I'd like to point out that I, I tend to repeat myself on this subject. But I think it's important that 
the iPhone is very different, not just from all of Apple's other products, but it's very different from every other phone because it it keeps this high margin, this high price. And it does so because it's in, uh, it's in cahoots with the, the operators in skimming all this great gravy off of the, 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 the entire $1.3 trillion mobile market. They are skimming all this profit because they're essentially enticing users to join a new ecosystem and a new higher data plan that typically goes along with that. But see, I, think, I think that's, that's the key here in, yeah, in so many have, ways is that this is, this is the gateway drug for the Apple ecosystem. In some ways, and, and I think that, that's the point about the, the iPhone hasn't, they haven't given up that skimming strategy. They're not going for a market share strategy, whereas on the iPad, right. they are. And certainly on the iPod back in the day, they went for market share. They had 70 plus percent. So they're still fine with this strategy, even if they lose share because they're skimming a huge amount of profit. And they're probably saying that we would... It's not that they're foolish about it, and this is where I draw the line. A lot of people say they're greedy or foolish in some way. It simply just makes a lot more sense to do this than try to fight it out, fight it out at the low end in a battle that they probably know they couldn't win, given right. the, the the massive massive resources being poured out by all these competitors. Well, plus, don't you think, I mean, just to pose a question to both of you, I guess, if they were to try to battle this out of the low end, what would that essentially do to the cachet and the value of the brand itself? Because I I have to think that part of the appeal for the iPhone um, all over the world, even if it is uh, overpriced and and outpriced for, you know, potentially 50% uh, of smartphone owners, the fact that it is the status symbol is something that makes it... um, it becomes, you know, one of those, it becomes a device that you want to have. And it becomes this kind of luxury, this, this, you know, attainable sort of device. And it's something that has a a quality to it that you, you don't have with, with a Samsung, you know, you want to be able to aspire to own the iPhone. So do you think that if they did more earnestly enter in this lower um, uh, margin market and, and, and more, you know, a broader world market that it would potentially hurt uh, their place as an aspirational product? Um, I'm not totally sure how aspirational the iPhone is. I mean, certainly in the U.S. where you've got sort of 40% share maybe, there's an awful lot of people, you know, too many people have got it for it to be aspirational. And, you know, even in the U.K., you see street cleaners with iPhones. So I think it's kind of passed beyond that. And I think if you look at the history of the iPod, um, they went down to very low prices without really losing the brand quality. You can have a quality brand without having to be really expensive. Okay. Well, to be fair though, the iPod never had a comp, had never had a competitor ever. Like they never had a branding competitor where any, I mean, people tried, but they never had competition. It, it just never happened uh, because of the music store, because of the fact that they were out early, you know, whatever you want to say, they never had competition unless it was at the very low end. True. And there was never a brand association, whereas you have Galaxy, which I would argue, you know, is is in many places probably strong or stronger than Apple and, um, you know, owns, you know, kind of marketing and, and has created kind of an awareness itself um, that you never had with any of the, the iPad, iPod competitors. Well, yeah, there's there's a, now the point is, I think you're, you're making um, the, the the question of exclusivity, the question of uh, of aspiration and brand value 
it is not something that Apple does, I think, universally. I think uh, Ben Benedict points out that on the iPod, there was a different strategy. On the Mac, there's also a different strategy. Um, it is a premium product, but it isn't something that people need to necessarily say that that they are better because they have one. I think, and also, by the way, even the iPhone varies widely globally in the U.S. It's much more common in the U.K. as well, but there are still many countries where it is really quite a unique product, uh, very, very low market share. I, so in other words, I don't think your original question was whether this will erode any sort of cachet they may have. I, I think it's it's not part of their strategy necessarily to define themselves this way. I think it's a very pragmatic approach that they want to make great products and they think that just being great in general makes the whole brand have cachet and that is what they're trying to achieve on a on a sort of a, on a brand on a company level. Um so I I don't think I think when you look at the 5C um and even the older products I mean how much cachet can there be in a 3-year-old version of of the product? I think they're very very pragmatic and the 5C is simply um a a a much more colorful and and uh maybe more approachable product to a lot of uh people who may not have uh smart smartphones today so i i don't i don't i don't see that as part of their strategy they may lose a bit but it isn't something that that uh i think is part of the the whole mystique of apple Sure. Well, I get, but my question wasn't so much about the 5C. It was about avoiding making it lower cost to uh, appear as if, I, I guess, I guess to be more pointed, do they just not want to be in that low-end market? Do they just not care about being in that low-end market um, the way, and, and competing the way, against okay. those users? It, it, competing for those types of customers and those types of users, would they prefer to stay in the high margin, um, you know, uh, even if it means lower uh, unit sold space? Um, rather than trying to get down and dirty against the Samsungs and the Xiaomi's and, and the Huawei's and the ZTE's and the H, you know, the TCLs of the world. Right. This is a good point because prior to today, we had the four, the four S and the five, and now we have the four S, the five C and the five S, and we don't really have a big. There, there isn't that big of a change in the lineup if you really think about it. We, right. We've sort of pushed things down one step. But it's it's not like what we have now, other than some of the features in the 5S, which it looks like, we'll, and we'll get to that, looks like a nice upgrade to the 5. It's not like Apple has stepped forward and said, like like you guys were saying a minute ago, here's something really aggressive at a, at a really aggressive price point that's bringing a whole bunch of new features. N- nobody who's got a 5 right now is going to upgrade. It's not an upgrade to go to the 5C. If you if you you know if if you're all, you you don't have the uh, replacement plan and you drop your five and it cracks or it gets run over or it's completely doesn't work, are you going to get a five C or are you going to get a five S? I think most of those people are going to get a five S. And I'm I'm wondering like who is the five C for? Is it because you, and you guys started talking about this? Is it for folks who have no smartphone and want one and would have before bought the 4S but didn't want the 4S because it was outdated? You see where I'm going with this? Like, who, right. who's the target? I definitely understand the target market for the 4S. That's very, very clear to me who's going to sure. be getting that. And, and I definitely get the iPhone 5S. It's not like I'm saying the 5C doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm asking 
who's going to go out and buy this? I think if you have an iPhone 4 right now and you're looking at wanting to do an upgrade, but you don't want to outlay the $200 or $300 or whatever, and you want to get a phone and spend $100 to do it. And, and you know, I, I expect that T-Mobile is probably going to come in with some aggressive, you know, uh, their uh, contract-free sort of pricing stuff. And, and we might see that from some of the other carriers too. I don't know. I think that that's probably who the target is. Or parents who are getting uh, a phone for their kids who don't want to spend the $200 but don't want to have the free phone. Um, I, I I oftentimes underestimate, I mean, I was interesting, I was seeing this on Twitter, people were saying, well, what's the, who's not going to spend the $100 just to upgrade to the, to the newer uh, phone? There are a lot of people um, in the U.S., you know, speaking specifically to this market, since that's the only one where we, where we really have um, a solid kind of pricing on, there are a lot of people who $100 difference is actually a big deal sure, uh, with sure, the price. And, and, and that can make a big difference, especially I think when you're looking at the fact that it's, um, a more unique and more kind of customizable phone. I mean, I think that this is an area where um, actually I, w- I would say that, that Samsung is, has done really well is that they've continued to sell the hell out of the Galaxy S3 at the, in the $100 range. Um, and, you know, by a lot of accounts, it's actually sold better than the Galaxy S4. Yeah. Um, and so I think that this is kind of the perfect, this is actually, I mean, if you look at the the iPhone 5C versus the Galaxy S3 and they're going to be selling for the same price, the 5C is a better phone, you know? Um, it, it's, it's, uh, it got better specs and, 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 um, you know, some more features. It's not as big obviously, but I think that it's probably a more attractive phone, um, or at the very least is, is very competitive against that. So, um, I, I think for that mid lower range is it, there's a lot of users out there who would, would be attracted to that, who just don't want to spend $200 for a phone. Benedict, you were starting to say something there. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, so Verizon told us in Q4 and Q1 that, half of their iPhone sales were non-LTE, which tells us that they were either the 4 or the 4S, and the indication was that they were mostly the 4, so three phone. And, you know, clearly there's people who want to buy cheaper models. I don't think there's any great science to this. The interesting thing is how many more, and how many more in the US in particular, where you have this very unique pricing structure that means that whatever else in the world is a super expensive phone in the US looks kind of free um, or, or close to free. And so, you know, as Horace and I have been saying, this is a $550 phone outside of the US. And that price flows through to contract customers because you pay a high contract price in order to get a more expensive phone. But in the US, this will be 100 bucks, And so it will look relatively much more appealing versus Android. And so it will take their share up. So you could speculate that this will have a bigger impact on Apple's share in the U.S. than it would do anywhere else. I don't know what you think about that, Horace. I think the 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 point that uh, that uh, Dan made was that you have a lot of people with four and four S in 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 their pockets today. There's there's actually when if you if I you know do your usual scan of people in an airport i'm shocked by how many are still carrying the four and four s uh and i see relatively few fives same yeah and and so what i think is those people are going to be faced with the question do i upgrade to the 5s or do i upgrade to the 5c and i think the if 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 my my assumption about c meaning the center i think many will be drawn to upgrade to the 5c and and that is the the um that would be in the U.S. Um, 
And and that's not a bad thing for Apple because those are still very, very fat margins on that product. Um, at the same time, I think it provides a bit more penetration in some of the markets where they're not present. Um, hard to say with China, given we don't know what's happening with China Mobile yet, but th- that's to me, is the bottom line about about who might buy the 5C. I think there's it's really more about the 4 and 4S, and maybe some people who have, haven't had a phone, a smartphone before. Uh, it's certainly uh, going to be an attractive first phone, um, rather than feeling that they're stretching a bit to get to the 5S. Our first sponsor today is Hover, Simplified Domain Management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in when all you want is just a .com or a .co or a .tv. Hover makes it easy. You just type in a few keywords and they're going to figure out some of the best domains available for you using those terms. It's like magic. They've got real human beings available for support. Their number is right on the front page of their website. And if you have any problems, you pick up the phone and call. Of course, they have electronic support too. Use the code DANSENTME, all one word, or visit hover.com slash DANSENTME and you will get 10% off of every single thing that you buy from them. That works for new domains, works for renewals, works for transfers, you name it. Dan sent me as the code to use 10% off. Go check them out at hover.com slash Dan sent me. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at this now as a, a set of related products, I think listening to what you guys are saying, and again, what Benedict was saying earlier, it's, it's almost like in some ways the five C it's not, affordable enough to to be big in china for example right this isn't this isn't a phone for china is this a phone for the in a way for the u.s it's kind of optimizing the current strategy i think that's the thing i mean listening to horace is something that occurs to me about calling it the middle phone which is that the classic pricing strategy is you have a cheap product you don't really want to sell and an expensive product you don't really expect to sell and the really good thing is the one in the middle and that's where all the volume is you know, you almost you almost create a fake expensive product that you don't expect anybody to buy so that um, the product you want people to buy looks like it's the middle option. And so you could argue there's a bit of direction going on here as mm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- th- it might be this bracketing, what they call bracketing. And I, th- I think it's it's um, I, I, I don't know if that's what's going on. I think there's also possibly because there's such a small difference between the the C at the high end and the S at the low end that some people will cross that gap. So, so they might be enticed even because the C is, is so, uh, so close to the S they might, might go to the S. I, I don't know. I have to still think it through, but it, it seems more likely that the way also the fact, I mean, think about it another way when they have so many colors, they're going to have a lot of skews, meaning that they have to range, put all of these in shops and so they're going to have to fill the channel with a lot more product than they've used to fill before. Um, and that's a, that's a great way to boost short-term your, your volumes. Um, so that might just mean by, by virtue of just plastering more product out there, they're going to actually become the most popular uh, variant out there. Um, and, uh, and it would actually signal sort of, in, if we step back and think about the theory about what is good enough, it is signaling therefore that you don't need the top of the line product to feel that you're getting a, a good enough phone. 
you'll be getting a good enough phone with the C product. I think that that is an important sort of really maybe the the main the main takeaway here about where we are in this market. Um, and Apple is 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 making a concession, I think, to to the fact that things have matured. Um, what they're not doing, and this is the other side of the coin, is they're not saying we're going to just chase the bottom or or go to you know a race to the bottom. I think that they're just going to milk it the way it is as long as they can. This is not a market that they need to fight to the bitter end. Maybe there's still a lot of unknowns. I don't know what what why they're not doing more with this fingerprint stuff. Maybe it's coming later. I mean, it's a great technology, but to use it just to so that you don't have to type a password seems seems like a a, a huge huge missed opportunity. Maybe we can actually talk about that because it seems like they could enable mobile payments and do all kinds of things that we haven't heard about yet. I think I think that they absolutely, and I was having the same thoughts. I know from talking uh, to so many of the, the players in the mobile payment space that that is such a, a quagmire and such a disaster, particularly in the U.S., because getting you know the, the carriers on, you not only have to get the carriers on board, but you then also separately have to get all of the banks on board and the, the payment processors on board. And, and so, you know... Um, there are variant, you know, consortiums, ISA, and, and some of the others that do things. And you know, Visa scored a big win um, by being, you know, the uh, responsible for the um, secure element in all of Samsung's devices, new devices. Um, you know, much to, to Google's chagrin. But it's been one of those really kind of difficult uh, nuts to crack. But I think that the interesting thing, as you say, is maybe we can see that come down the line because I fully expect that this is the sort of thing where you wouldn't need NFC. You could enable with Bluetooth even um, the same sort of capabilities and the same sort of secure transfer for payments by using fingerprints um, paired with something like Passbook that that you're getting with other things. It's just a matter of how long would it take to roll this sort of stuff out to point of sale systems? How long does it take to get all the major banks involved? You know, can we get all the carriers involved or is it going to be a thing where it's everyone versus Sprint? You know, I mean, there, there are so many factors involved in that. And, and that's just in the United States. It, it's equally complicated in the rest of the world. Um, I, I don't blame them for not going head in on mobile payments until they can actually make it usable. Because, I mean, that's the, the, the funny thing. And in certain countries, you have better luck than others. But by, I mean, Canada is probably the, the best place. Um, but even then, you've got to have a BlackBerry and who wants that? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, well, I mean, honestly. No, it's, you're, you're right. But I mean, you know, but it, but it's sort of, it was one of those things where I think it could potentially open them up very easily to having that. And, and I have to also think with a lot of the stuff that's going to be coming with the iCloud keychain um, and the fact that, that I've, I've been told that there will be an SDK of sorts and that it will, at some point, apps will be able to plug directly into that, that maybe you could utilize, you know, the fingerprints um, at, at some point with that as well. So your passwords could be controlled. Um, you know, with your fingerprint, which could be really compelling to not have to bother even typing passwords in for your various apps and, and internet sites and, and just use your fingerprint instead. That could actually be great. So I, I, I don't know, I, but I'm with you. I think that there's a ton of stuff there. I, I wouldn't go as far to say it's a, mi- a missed opportunity, um, but maybe to say we haven't seen, you know, the extent of, of what uh, they plan to do with it. Um, well, speaking, I hope, going, I hope we see more of it. I agree with you. And going along those lines, um, uh, Jen Simmons, who she does uh, the web ahead here on five by five, she's hanging out in the chat room and, and she says, and this is the same thing that 
that I think a lot of people I've talked to already about this, the phrase, this is our most forward-thinking phone yet. Now, what she says in the chat, I'm like, what's that all about? What does that mean? But really, why? What, what is forward-thinking about this? Are they talking about the security features of it? Are they talking about that? How, how is it a they, forward-thinking They spent phone? the whole time talking about the, the camera. I think what's the, that's great. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, 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 I'm delighted and, 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 and amazed, but the point is to move the software forward to move 64 bit. Yeah. 64 bit. Yep. They've got the motion, but we, we, we've got suddenly this potential, right? In hardware, we've got great processing power. We've got a new sensor. We've got this motion chip or, or this, this, um, uh, new M series M seven, what are they going to be used for? Show us, show us the great new things that it enables, and that's the thing. Unlocking the phone is not. It seems an enormous amount of hundreds of millions of dollars spent in R and D to avoid a couple of key taps. I think there's more to it than that, and I'm with you on the point that we haven't seen the story. I'm just wondering why couldn't they put it together now and where where is the when are we going to finally hear the story behind this this new technology no i'm with you i mean my my gut my gut says that they're simply you know they've been really pushing to crunch time to get ios 7 out and i think it's going to come out and it'll it'll do what they say it's going to do but it's it's kind of going to be beta esque you know it it's similar i've compared it in the past to you know the the first iteration of of os 10 um and might take a few you know um updates and, and and versions for it to um reach its point but but i'm with you i mean it almost feels like they had these bigger software plans and then they just they don't have them ready i mean it might be as as, as simple as that and and that's you can certainly criticize them for that, but I, I mean, it, it feel it certainly feels that way um, that they the software just isn't ready to do everything that they would potentially like it to do um, on the hardware side. I think there's there's a couple of interesting things on this front. One is that they've made um, iWork and the other um, sort of content apps free, but they don't appear to have updated them for iOS seven, and that looks like it's just a time and resource point. Mm-hmm. There was a story floating around that iOS 7 for iPad was delayed. That doesn't look like that's true. But clearly there's been a bit of a, there's been some resource issues here. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the iWork moving into a free slot, first of all, I've just gotten Twitter questions about what's that going to be the impact on the bottom line. My, expe- my, my estimates are that actually, even though these, these apps were, were the best selling productivity apps on the App Store, uh, at ten dollars a pop, they they wouldn't have crossed, uh, you know, a hundred million in revenue. My that's my guess, um, and and so that's a that's a drop in the ocean for Apple. So it's not going to impact their their financial performance in any way to give away these apps. It is, it, it, but they haven't, as as you pointed out, they they haven't done much to really redefine the products, move them forward. Uh, we heard a WWDC iWork going into the cloud. Uh, that's um, hopefully going to be released uh, imminently, and uh, that is a, a an improvement in 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 uh, in access in what the product how how it can actually reach more users. But it's still functionally the same as it's been for many 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 years. The desktop version of iWork hasn't changed for four years, I think. Right. Um, so, so 
it, it, you know, it's frustrating for me because actually I use these products and I know they're all, every single one of their bugs. Um, so anyway, that's one thing that's kind of out there that they've, they've moved iWork forward in a sense by increasing access for it, but they haven't changed it. And I, I can only assume they're working to, to finally give us a real functional upgrade. And, and that's one loose end. The other one, by the way, uh, so the fingerprint is one thing. The iWork is another. And finally, I think one of the issues that we should also touch on is how they got into the case business. What is right, that all of a sudden about? they're in yeah. the, they're in the case business and I mean they've had the the bumper before and we were watching um we were watching with a group of folks here uh in the in the the studio and I remember remarking I don't think they've ever made a case and they said well they made the bumper but now all of these are coming out with a case and the cases aren't that bad I mean we didn't get a really really good look at them and the hands on uh reports that I've read like the one from the Verge for example uh they they don't really talk about the case yet they're talking mainly about the fingerprint sensor and things like that but they're in the case business now i think there's two things interesting about that one is margin i mean they yes. pretty sell them whatever they sell them for they make a 90 percent margin on them and it's the Absolutely. same same thing you can see with the ipad cases i think there's a um if you i don't know what it's like in the states but if you walk around any kind of mid-tier shopping area in london or in paris you see hordes of <laughs> plastic cases with crystals on them and all kinds of, um, of weird stuff on them. So it may be that, you know, clearly they're very popular. It may be that Apple is thinking about um, sort of brand projection that you can see somebody's using an iPhone when they've, when they've got an Apple case. Whereas if they've got some plastic case covered in plastic crystals, you can't see that, but it may just be money. You know, if they sell, you know, 15 million of these a quarter, you know, I mean, you know there, there was a number a while ago, that I think half the people who bought iPhones in an Apple store walked out with an app with a case. So if they sell fifteen, if they sell fifteen or twenty million of these a quarter at thirty or forty dollars each at an eighty or ninety percent margin, um, that's worth more than the App Store practically. Mm. Oh no, the, mar- the, the, yeah. the attachment rate rate is huge on those. It's it is interesting that they're getting into the case space because it's something they did it with the iPod uh, to a small degree, but not to a, a, a huge degree. Um, they had some of the sock covers and some other things. Um, but Samsung is is in the case business. And I think it originally started out of necessity because you didn't have the, the case makers investing as much in specific cases for the Samsung devices that started to change. Uh, but it's interesting to see that they're going to potentially be going after some of their biggest accessory makers. You know, so I, I, I'm going to have to reach out to, to InCase and to um, Spec and, and to Griffin and some of the others and see what they're thinking about all of this, I'm sure that they'll say it just validates their own theories, but it's it's going right. to obviously be a harder yeah, they'll sell. Make polite, they'll make polite noises. They'll make light, but well, it's going to be well, hard because a lot of them primarily sell in the Apple Store. I mean, I know that Spec has a big seller in the Apple Store. Um, but what's interesting, too, is that, you know, there's there's the low-end case, obviously, that they're kind of selling. And then what you also see in the Apple Stores, and, and I don't know if you see this in Europe, too, but like we have, you know, Kate Spade has cases and, and uh, Mark Jacobs and... Um, you know, Michael Kors and, and Louis Vuitton, and um, those are quite popular. I see them all over the place. Well, there's one thing I can add here, and that is that um, Apple used to have the accessories as a separate um, a separate business, but they folded that recently into into their devices as kind of blending those in together again. Um, the 
or I should, or is that true or not? Um, but in any case, the the, um, the point is that they have something called made for iPhone and made for iPod and made for mm-hmm. iPad. The licensing of that trademark actually was probably generating more revenue than these uh, these cases today that were launched today might might generate because I I, I think early on it was revealed that they were getting as much as ten percent of the sales price on these on these sanctioned accessories and you mentioned some of these brand names and those would be the ones that would be uh targeted with this with this campaign so in that way apple did make money from all of that ecosystem of cases this is in competition with them but at the same time i think it's more likely to compete against some of these lost income that that the the unsanctioned or un licensed uh case makers who who uh built you know didn't have the trademark on on them and so maybe what they feel is that that was a lost opportunity these uh kiosk based uh as you as as benjamin uh uh, uh put it uh, sorry benedict put it uh, uh, uh these these crystal encased and so on i think those are the ones that they're going after rather than the branded ones I was going to say the interesting thing about the Samsung cases is that they're actually um, well more innovative than the Apple product. Um, if, you, if you look at the cases on the, the S3 and the S4, um, you have a little window on the screen in, right. in, in the case that shows you through to the screen. And because they're using this OLED um, right. screen technology, you have a, like a little micro display that shows through the case. so You can see the time and some notifications. And then you open the case and you flip it out and it protects the screen as well. And then you flip it over and you see what's on the screen. And Apple is actually staying away. That's actually one case where I think, um, sorry, no pun intended. That's one instance where <laughs> Samsung is actually doing something that's more appealing than Apple, which is you know, Apple are basically just putting a wrapper on it to protect it if you drop it, but they're not doing anything more. No, definitely. I mean, Samsung took the, the concept of the smart cover and then took it to the next level by putting the window on it, for sure. Um, they, they took, they, instead of making it a purely derivative product, they really innovated on top of what, what Apple started doing with the, their iPad cases. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Our next sponsor is Shutterstock.com, where you will find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. Just start your search at Shutterstock.com or use their really cool iPad app. And you will find the perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. They have a global image collection. It's going to help you find images from across the world. You can choose between image packs, monthly subscription packages, or just a one-off image. It's your choice. Whatever fits your need. You don't have to compromise. It's more affordable than you think. They don't charge more for large files. You just download any image, any size, and you pay only one price. They have 24-hour support during the week, too, and they even dedicate an account rep to help you. And don't forget about their vectors. They've got icons, infographic templates, video clips, you name it. They've got it. And they make it super easy to find stuff. And every single day, they're adding something like 10,000 images. Go there and sign up for a free account, Shutterstock.com. When you're ready to buy something, you're going to get 25% off if you use the code DANSENTME9, number nine, DANSENTME9. So go check them out at Shutterstock.com. Use that code DANSENTME9, save 25%, and support this show and five by five. Uh, the first thing I thought when I saw the, the five S case was, wow, that's exactly in cases case. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's that one that, like yeah. we just saw in the Apple store, like a week now, Hattie, if you're going to get, you're going to get one of these five S's, right? Yeah. I think I'm going with gold. I okay. think so. I think it might should, be too early to say you should get the gold one, but here's the thing. 
would you put, and I know people, people go back and forth on this all the time. Most of the people that I know are not putting their phones in. And that started with the five cases. I do not have mine in a case. I've gone back and forth with this. And like we were commenting beforehand, uh, I was talking to Anthony. Especially about the black one that The you black have. one that I have, it looks like the Millennium Falcon, to quote John Syracuse <laughs> on that. I mean, it, it's been, it's completely battered up. It's got marks. And I re- I'm careful with it in the sense that I just keep it in my pocket, you know. I'm not like uber careful with it. But there, and, and we've talked about this issue, I think all of us in, in, independently here and there. Now, how do you've got that? What is that? I have the Tech on? 21 bumper it's for a good, the five. And, and that's a really cool I like it. Case. Would you have gotten an Apple branded case? Like, does that matter to you? Would you look if at a case and say bumpers for the five? Probably. I mean, that were any yeah. good. Yeah. If they were good, if they, you know, they protected it enough that, or at least just the edges and didn't add any kind of added weight to it because and just didn't think distract ab- from the look of it. Then think sure. about the power of the Apple retail store. And so many people go to the Apple store to buy the phones, not the Absolutely. geeks like us who pre-order them. And if you're if you're walking into I an Apple store, I avoid the Apple store when I think of cases because I'm like everything is going to be it's going to be way, know, too way too expensive. But if you're yeah. walking in there and you're like, oh, I would like the new uh, I did five get this case at Apple store though. <laughs> but but see but see that's the impulse buy kind of thing. Yeah. If you're walking in there and you're like, oh, do you want a new iPhone? Yeah, I'm going to get a new iPhone. And you say, well, the, and and the guy says to you in the store. You want a case? We've got all these like, cases. No, Look at all these cool colors or whatever. Then, yeah. But the point is impulse buy and a little bit of suggestion from an Apple retail store employee or the person who walks in and see, I, when I dropped, uh, I think I dropped the four. Okay. Yeah. Cause this is about two years ago and I dropped the four and I cracked the back of it and I went into the Apple store and, and the, uh, the genius there who was fixing it says, we can fix this right in the back. He says, and I'll tell you what, normally it's a hundred bucks if you, to get it fixed, but I'll, I'll do a special deal for you today. If you promise me, you'll keep it in a case from now on. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll charge you 20 bucks to fix oh, it or man, something. They didn't like, give me that deal. That's awesome. <laughs> but, but little suggestions like that, you're walking in to buy a new phone or it's an impulse buy and you see this entire, right, and you know what? They're kind of reminding you, Apple hey, controls all of their retail space. They can make right. a huge display for all of their cases and one tiny little row for the other ones. I mean, well, that's up they, to, that's their prerogative. They kind of have a way to preserve, you know, the beauty of, of their product if they are the ones designing the cases for it. Yeah, I think the iPad is a good example how mm-hmm. I think for the iPad, the, the, the made for iPad cases are just absolutely the only uh, ones I would consider um, unless I'm dealing with some more something more of a carrying case, but but I have bought two um, for two for for two iPads. I bought cases from Apple, so I think it it, it makes a lot of sense to do this. Um, but anyway, here we are. Uh, they've gone into that business now, and and it's probably as as Benedict pointed out, going to really boost their margins uh, with the high attach rates. And the, again, the, speaking of the iPad, now I just I just realized that as the iPad also had a, a, a reduction in average sales price as they mm-hmm. went to the mini, I think they've been able to buffer some of that because they've had the accessories business. Um, but again, here we get into some of these details of whether they actually report accessories separately from the um, from the, the device units. I, I would actually misspoke earlier because. Uh, I think the accessories is now a separate where they used to be folded together. Now they're actually taken out of the device 
as as so, so when you see the average revenue per unit of an iPad, it doesn't include any case that may or all, it doesn't include the iPad case business. I, th- those accessories now are reported in a separate as a separate line item. Not that it matters on the overall margin, but I, I just point out that it's not so much that we're going to see it in the reported figures. But anyway, that's a minor account, accounting issue. I'm just sort of circling back on the fingerprint scanner. I mean, the thing that's intro was interesting yesterday was the um, PayPal put up this web page mm-hmm. for a little USB stick that was a Bluetooth beacon and, quote, supported devices, unquote, which, of course, meant iOS device, uh, devices running iOS 7 would know when they were in your store and pick up that beacon and be able to do things. Um, and I think the there's kind of a penny that isn't quite dropping around all of the peer-to-peer wireless stuff that Apple's done yeah. and fingerprint scanner and keychain in the cloud and Bluetooth beacons, you know, all the stuff that they've talked about publicly without going into what's under NDA. Um, and the thing that this reminds me of is that when you look at um, AirDrop, it uses functions in Apple hardware that's kind of been there for the last two or three versions and not used. So the things like the Wi-Fi Direct, which is the, the kind of the standard name for what a part of how AirDrop works, that's kind of been there in Apple devices previously without anything really being done with it. And so now we look at the fingerprint scanner and you say, okay, so the fingerprint scanner is going to be in all of this year's phones. And it'll probably be in all of next year's. It'll probably be in the C model next year for the sake of argument. Mm-hmm. And so it will kind of work its way through into the ecosystem and everyone will have it. And what are they going to do once everybody's got it? And what else do they do with that? I mean, they, they, you're looking at the keynote, looking at the event, they're very explicit that they don't get the fingerprint information and developers don't get the fingerprint information right it's only there for itunes but it doesn't mean that there couldn't be some mediated way of using it later on in mm. conjunction with a paypal and app. itunes could grow up to be something else because itunes now is transacting on the order of 20 billion dollars uh in billings uh, not all of that is counted as revenue but it is it is a transaction value uh, that is enabled potentially through could be enabled through this fingerprint uh and that's that's significant and if they could parlay that into saying well we can act as merchant for other goods not right. just the ones in our store so, so it could, who knows it could I mean, do what google wallet has tried to do and exactly, has, has yeah. thus far failed exactly spectacularly at yeah i think you're right I, you're absolutely right because at this point i think you know many people um almost everybody has an itunes account it, it's become kind of one of those universal things and and you can fund it with any you know variety of things like i use paypal but you could use a credit card you can use other services uh but yeah i I think you're you're dead on horse if if it i could see them potentially transitioning that into you know um, a global kind of wallet system and and why not if you have your phone with you anyway and now you can identify who you are not with a pin code but just by touching something i mean that that is something that and apple specifically said today that this is for for right now. This is not for third party developers. This is just for Apple and just for the things that that they're doing. In the same way that Siri 
is just for Apple. Is this the kind of thing that, that you think Apple will maintain this kind of lockdown on or, it, or will they open this up eventually for key partners? Could you see Square or somebody else coming to them and saying, we sure would like to use that and a special deal happening? Or do you think Apple's just going to own this for a long time? I think, I think there's a, so I was going to say, I think there's a simplicity story about Apple that people tend to kind of construct castles in the air that they're going to remake the global TV industry or they're going to do this or they're going to do that. And I think, you know, much like Google, um, in the same way, people project things onto it. I'm not sure that building a global payment processing platform is a kind of a world of pain that, that Apple wants to get into, particularly after we've seen how well Google did it. And Google are people who are really good at data and platforms. And, you know, Apple, I'm not sure I want the people who built MobileMe to be building a <laughs> payment platform. You know, that's not really what they do. So I would be inclined to think that this is more an API with very careful, once they've worked out precisely the right way of managing that. If, if, if for no other reason that Square isn't everywhere and PayPal isn't everywhere, and lots of these companies aren't global. So if they do something with it, it's kind of more likely to be an API, but it's a very specific closed API, if that's not a contradiction in terms. No, which is exactly how Siri works now. You know, they have third-party support, but it's it's vetted by Apple. It's not as if anybody can just plug into it. Um, and and I, 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 I'm with you 100%, um, Benedict. I, I could see that. I could moreover see maybe with certain um, retail partners, you know, Starbucks, who they've had a really good relationship with, and, and, you know, maybe some other places. Obviously, you know, the Apple retail store, if you could pay for things, you know, using your phone, in those sorts of locations. Passbook is the obvious channel. Absolutely. Because you don't have a binary. You have a, um, you just have a basically a, a text file. Right. You know, zip up text file. And that goes through Apple's own passbook framework. Right. So, um, you know, you could unlock a passbook file using this passport, using your fingerprint, for example. And that would be a way of maintaining total control while still allowing third party access. One more thing just came across the wires here is that the iPhone 4 looks like it's still going to be available in China. And uh, I found a website where it's showing and its price is actually uh, available at $422 equivalent. So the 4... That's with contract or... That would be, I assume, unlocked. Unlocked, yeah, because that's that's the way they do it. Unlocked from T-Mobile... They've just posted their prices uh, for, uh, let's see, both 5S and 5C. Uh, so it's six. These are all unlocked. No contract on T-Mobile. The 16 gig, 649, 32 gig, 749, and 849 for the 64 gig. Um, you know, these, the, a lot of the folks that, that I know in, in the geek space, whatever you want to call it, for them, they always want to get the unlocked phone. That's mm-hmm. that's all that they really consider. They, they're like, how much is the unlocked phone? Where do I get it? When can I get it? And when you look at the sizes of this, and especially, again, going back to your comments, uh, all of you earlier, about the camera and the camera being something that really is tremendous. I saw when the, the folks at The Verge were doing their you know their live blog of the event, they were saying that right now this really does look like the smartphone to beat when it comes to having a really, really great camera. And time and time again, I keep seeing people talking about the erosion of the point and shoot market. The fact that uh, now the smartphone has become the carry camera for all, but 
professional photographers, really. I, I still have a point and shoot and I know other folks who walk around with a point and shoot, but the camera has become so important that now they've got two LEDs in the phone and the camera's taking 10 photos, photographs at a single time with all the different combinations of lighting and presenting to you the best one. This is very much so when, when going back to what Jen Simmons comment earlier, what's, what's forward thinking about the phone. For me, one of the other things that jumps out is obviously the camera, but what they're doing, they've got slow motion. They've got slow mm-hmm. motion at 120 frames per second at 720p. Amazing. And and that's going to eat up storage. I was really surprised that they didn't come out with uh, 128. Yeah, I kept hearing rumors and I said, well, if, if they're really going to have a great camera, because I've got the 64 gig now and I'm two thirds full. Most of that's, you know, most of that's images and photos and stuff that, yeah, I have a, I, I, I sync it off of there, but I like having those on the camera itself, you know? Yeah. Wait till you're a toddler. Then you'll, then you'll, then your storage <laughs> usage explodes. Right. And there's, and again, I'm not, nobody expects the battery to be replaceable in an iPhone. Nobody expects to be able to add storage to an iPhone. But Christina, you're seeing this with a lot of the Android phones in this space right now where you can do things like that. Do you think that there's an Android phone right now that's got a camera and, and this kind of functionality that's going to line up with, with what's coming out in the 5S? No. No. Um, and, and actually, part of the reason I think is actually the storage thing that you mentioned. Um, uh, you know, the, HTC has has tried similar marketing with the HTC One. I actually don't like that camera. Um, I, I know a lot of people go on and on about it. I, I actually don't care for it. Uh, the Galaxy S Four uh, camera is is good, but it, but it's um, I wouldn't put it above kind of where the iPhone Five camera is now. Um, the the Lumia Ten Twenty is a great camera, but it's it's a very specific sort of thing, and it's a very big device. I think that a lot of what they're bringing is is very cutting edge for, for what they're doing. Um, to your point, I'm absolutely, I, I feel the same way. I'm, I'm kind of perturbed by the, the lack of a 128 option. It would be, it would certainly be very nice. I'm not completely surprised just looking at uh, what the solid state uh, market is like right now. The, it, the prices are still, I think, too high for them to do it in volume at 128, um, frankly. But uh, it would be, it, I, I certainly would, would be right up there, you know, buying it because um, I always get as much storage as I can. Um, but I think the camera is going to be a huge selling point. It was actually really interesting. In um, We ran a kind of a, an open thread yesterday asking people, okay, you know, what, um, what do you want to see out of the 5S? And the, the two biggest features that kind of came out was more camera stuff and better battery. Better battery being far and away the biggest benefit. So I think that'll be interesting to see a what sort of impact you know all this new stuff has on uh, the the battery. Maybe if sixty four bit will have any you know um, improvement on that. But but camera um, was right up there. You know that seems to be one of those key um, points for a lot of users. Is is all it's all about the camera functionality. And so I think as close as they can get to really truly being able to replace the point and shoot, um, the better they'll be, especially at the high end. Yeah, because for so many people, I think if you look at the um, now, okay, one thing before I forget this, uh, Andy Nako has been uh, talking to me a lot about the the Moto X, and Christina, you and I talked about the Moto X, and one of the features that it has is you can tap anywhere on the screen to focus and anywhere on the screen to take a photograph. Little things like that are the kinds of features that you know that that people want, and what we have in in iOS 7, and I've been running iOS 7 on my, my main uh, iPhone for about a week now, 
you know, we, we still have the pressing the volume button to take the, the picture. And it's those little kinds of enhancements like that, that, that people who are on the, the Bandroid wagon, people who are in that camp are continuously pointing out to me of like, well, look how easy it is to take a photo here. And you know what? Like in some ways they're right now. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. We'll have other shows that we can criticize iOS seven uh, or we can talk about it a little bit here, but those kinds of features it's it's interesting to me that most of what they were talking about uh, this time around wasn't so much iOS 7 itself as much as the physical hardware of the phone and and things like the camera. And that makes sense. We've got the new mobile uh, processor built into it. We've got really good battery life. We've got all of these great OpenGL features, which the gamers are just going to love. It's It seems to me like they're, the, the focus, I guess where I'm going with this, is the focus on the hardware is still as important and when you look at the form factor of the phone talking about the 5s it really hasn't changed it continues to be the same and this is something that we were expecting with the 5s and should we expect it to change with the 6 should we anticipate there to be some and, and i know we're looking forward to a year but i still know people who are like well i didn't like that form factor or i don't like the way it feels to hold it you know christina we were talking about the moto x and how nice that phone it feels to hold you know that's that's the question that I have. Is this the, is is that an issue? Is that something that uh, people will comment on and say? You know they didn't change enough. It, they've changed this hardware, but my 5s is just fine. I think there's a there's a kind of cycle you can see in the iPhone really since the last two or three years, which is Apple comes out with a new phone and it's you know it's got a better camera, it's got better processor, it would it. And it kind of catapults them to the top of the league tables in the specifications, the camera, everything else. So the screen size is a slightly different point. But, you know, if you sort of sit and look at the speed, you know, the feeds and speeds and the camera spec and everything else, it becomes the best or the best equal or phone on the market, depending on your point of view. And then over the next six to nine months, Android devices kind of catch up and overtake it. And so for then another three to six months, Apple is clearly behind the curve in, you know, the state of the art, what you can go out and buy. So, you know, yesterday, Galaxy S4 is clearly a higher spec device than the, um, than the iPhone 5. And so you have this kind of leapfrogging effect of Apple jumping forward and then remaining static for a year, obviously, because they don't do a new product and everyone else kind of catches up. And so when I was looking at the, all the, the description of the, the camera, I was thinking, well, there's other Android phones out there that do quite a lot of this stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. it's put together in quite the same way, but this is not, you know, quite a lot of that was catch up. And then a lot of it is kind of jumping ahead and setting a new bar. And that's kind of the cycle that you see. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about all the things that Apple didn't do. But, you know, it's 64 bit, it's faster, there's a lot more LTE band. So it will work on LTE on all the European network operators, for example, the iPhone 5. It doesn't work on most of the European LTE networks that are now being launched. So they've done mm-hmm. a lot of kind of steady incremental improvement. And I think one of the striking things in the um, the event today was when they said that this is, what, 50 times faster than the original iPhone. Right. And I don't think anybody sat down with an iPhone and kind of thought, oh, you know, nobody really sat down and said, wow, this is amazingly faster than the last one. But somehow six, seven years later, we're 50 times faster. Um, and I think that's actually a big part of this, that we can get, you know, as as kind of technology people, you can get focused on, you know, oh, it doesn't have the right price, and oh, they're not doing enough with the the fingerprint scanner. But when you look at an S four 
or you know new HTC phone or new Nokia or the new iPhone and compare them with what you could have bought even three years ago, they've made amazing progress. Absolutely. And, and what, it, it's actually really interesting. I think that's one of the areas where Apple has succeeded in ways that um, uh, none of the other phone manufacturers really have and that it's, it's rare unless you keep your phone for more than the two years that the iPhone starts to feel slow. You know, uh, for the most part, they, they keep the software updates. Some of the software updates have not been as good, but for the most part, you know, your phone still feels as fast as it was when you got it. Um, our expectations change, obviously. And, and we want things to be faster and better. But it's not as if you feel like you're using an old piece of equipment, which is part of what makes moving to the new one and having this kind of moment of zen and going, oh, my God, it's even faster. When you didn't even realize that you needed that, um, kind of remarkable. And, and I think you, you see that on the iPad as well. Um, but you're absolutely right, Benedict. I mean, the, the way that the cycle works is that Apple's ahead for a few months and then they fall behind uh, for a few months, and it, it's kind of this this weird, you know, game of catch up uh, because the cycles are, are are not ever aligned correctly. Um, but what's actually I think interesting here, and it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do with some of the the gaming stuff and some of the the, the graphic stuff, because that's actually an area where even the the GS4, if you look at their uh, GPU stuff, was not substantially better than the iPhone 5. Uh, it was pretty close. I mean, granted they have a quad core processor. You know, if you're talking about the, you know. Um, uh, Qualcomm chip and you know the the um, octa core. If you're talking about the Samsung chip, but a none of the apps are taking advantage of it. Uh, B uh, the GPU stuff, which is where a lot of the the most impressive kind of visual things end up happening, um, has been pretty close. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what that means, you know, um, for apps and and that'll be what what'll be exciting. I think to see you know within the next six months is is what uh, game makers and and developers are able to kind of create. Um, for uh, for this new GPU. Now, speaking of, to Benedict's comment of you know what we have seen and and what we do have fifty fifty six times faster, whatever. Um, you know, we all we also have this new M seven motion coprocessor. So we've got the A seven processor and this M seven chip, which is designed to work in tandem with the A seven, and it captures motion data from things like the compass, the accelerometer, the gyroscope. And really, this seems to be geared toward like health and fitness apps. Mm -hmm. And you've, you know, there's the little uh, Nike and the Jawbone uh, bracelets that people are wearing. This is uh, just like in the cases. Isn't this a way for Apple to kind of get into that same space without having to make a device like that, without having to make a iWatch or something? Is this is this the kind of thing that because right now people are not talking about this that that much. But the idea that it can gather this information, they can do things with it for fitness and activity apps, right? But maybe gaming apps and other things. Is this another little thing that Apple's been able to squeeze in here that down the road leads to many more apps and many more, uh, you know, opportunities for them down the road? That this sort of a stealth thing right now. Yeah, we're, we can capture this stuff, but we're not sure what we're going to do with it for you. Well, just if... Uh so this is going to require a little bit more research. I only saw the very little of it yeah. through the live feeds. But what the innovation seems to be is that they've taken what used to be separate sensors, put them into one chip, and allowed that to operate independently of the CPU. Thus, the device can act, can sort of listen without consuming as much power, which is an interesting effort to make, given that there's, again, very little apps 
currently that need uh, that level of power management unless it's something that is running 24 hours a day, right? And right. If, if that's the thing that strikes me is that they've gone through to great lengths to engineer, design, build, manufacture a new chip that currently has no applications. Um, like the sensor for the fingerprint has no applications. So it's interesting what the roadmap might be for this chip and this effort. Um, of course, the wearables and the health uh, health uh, uh, um, maintenance type of applications that are out there are third party. But if if Apple is looking to make new category of devices, I think it makes sense to integrate this new chip into them. I don't know what what do you think, Benedict? I'm just curious. Um, I'm always slightly puzzled by these wearable things. I mean, I um. I had a meeting at, at Foursquare a few months ago, and every single person in the room seemed to be wearing one of those Fibbit personal measurement right, things. Right, right. I've never seen anybody else wearing them. I tend to think of this space as a niche. That might be because I haven't run since about 1995, so maybe <laughs> the wrong demographic. Um, but I think instinctively my inclination is that a lot of this wearable stuff gets swallowed by the smartphone rather than being a standalone device. Um, I think the measurement of movement and you, how much you've walked every day and all of this kind of stuff is likely to get swallowed up into the hardware rather than being a watch or you know a little dongle that you stick in your shoe or something. And that's probably the way that they become mainstream because it's a lot easier to get somebody to install an app that tracks this and to get somebody to buy a little rubber bracelet that wraps around your wrist. Right. I've, I've already gotten, and I was just thinking this yesterday, I was having lunch with a couple friends and both of them had uh, the, the jawbone. Uh, up. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I wear a watch. The reason I wear a watch is one for convenience. Yeah. But it's more of a style thing. Watches. Thing. Yeah. Watches have become jewelry now. If if yes. you think about it, because for years I never had a watch because I had a phone or a smartphone and I never needed it. And then at some point I said, well, yeah, I mean, this is this is a uh, it's an accessory and it's completely a fashion thing now. And I was thinking if I were to get one of those things, I wouldn't really want to I don't want to have something on each wrist, you know, like that seems like overkill. I don't want two things on one wrist, you know, and and you think of a way that Apple can get in this. We did not see, and nobody, I don't think, was expecting an iWatch. Nobody was expecting that to be the one more thing. I think a lot of people were, though, expecting to see some kind of an update to at least software of the Apple TV. That didn't happen. Well, I think that, that A, you know, we've got another event that's probably going to be happening in, in October, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of the stuff there, since the Apple TV stuff has historically been bundled more with the iPod events anyway, uh, rather than the phones. But when it comes to wearables, you know, I'm pretty bullish on wearables. And and I do think that they have more niche focuses for sure, and health and fitness being one of them. But I actually, you know, I looked at this and I thought, by building in this M7 chip into the phone, um, the same way that they had built in what had used to be the, the separate dongle uh, for the Nike shoe into the phone mm-hmm. a, a few years back, what they're really doing is they're opening up the um, ease of use in which it can operate into a broader ecosystem. Um, you know, Nike and Apple have worked very closely together for a long time. And I've, I've always kind of thought that maybe this iWatch thing that, that we're going to see is, is really going to be more of a, an iteration on the, the, you know, the fuel band. Um, and, and that you might have a future fuel band that, that connects very 
closely with the stuff that's happening um, inside the watch. A, that could bring down the price and make it something that you could, you know, have different variants of so that you don't have to worry about having, you know, to Horace's earlier point, having all the electronics there. You can have the bulk of that in your phone, which is always on you. Um, but B, it could also be one of those things where you could potentially have more types of devices that are just acting as dumb displays to, to send that sort of information. Because, I mean, I think that's where it's really powerful. I mean, I have a Pebble, and I, I really like it, and I have a Fuel Band, and I, I like that a lot as well. And it is really nice to be able to see, especially with an app like RunKeeper, on, on the Pebble to be able to look down and instantly see how far I've traveled, what my time and rate stuff is, and not have to have my phone out of my pocket to be able to control the music and, and not have to worry about tripping and falling on Central Park and shattering my phone, which I've done before. And, you know, um, or, or if you're, you know, in another sort of sports environment thing and you've got it in like a protective case. I mean, I think that they're just there. There is a market there. How big it is, I don't know. But I think it's probably bigger than, than we might want to immediately give credence to, especially if you look at the popularity yeah. of, of fitness apps. Um, but, but I think that to me, seeing this sort of built into the, the 5S, kind of like the fingerprint thing kind of says, you know, maybe they have another product it waiting in the wings that's going to work really well with this. And perhaps that could be part of, you know, uh, Jen on Twitter, you know, and in the chat, her earlier point about, you know, the most forward, right. you know, looking product ever, maybe by forward looking, it's about we're building these things in and they will work extremely well with things that we continue to bring out over the next, you know, coming months. And, and so when we introduce these products, they will fit into an ecosystem that already exists and a product line that people already own rather than being, um, something where you're going to immediately have to buy all new stuff to work with the watch or, or whatever. I mean, I, I, who knows? But but I, I but I do think that there's something to the fact that they were, you know, especially with the Nike stuff on there. I, I absolutely expect that whatever the next fuel band is, will have some sort of really good iOS 7 integration and probably with the stuff that's built into the new iPhone. Um, the same way that you know now the fuel band you can use it with Android, but they they don't really support it. Uh, they don't have an app or any of that stuff, and they they have no plans to do that. I, I think that it, I fully expect to see more of that sort of tight integration. But well, I can share one example also from from my my own use. I got a fuel band in August myself to see what this is all about. And this and I was skeptical that it, it, it's much use, um, but I I've actually gotten. Uh, quite charmed by it. I think it it is something I, that turns your the the chore of exercise or trying to exercise, wishing you could exercise into more of a more of a game. And that was the whole notion of points rather than actually counting calories. Is the points allow you to compare your performance with others? But what I've this what I've found out my own from my own usage of this is that you realize that you don't have to necessarily exercise to get your points up. So you start doing other things to meet your quota, and and those things might be things like not, not I wouldn't say going for a walk, although that's obvious, but doing things like housework or or you know playing with your kids or something like that because you feel. You feel that that is hitting two birds with one stone. And the reason I bring this up is because it kind of gets to this whole point about jobs to be done. The, 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 I hire the device to make me feel good about my, my state of activity, that I, feel, I don't feel like I've wasted my day sitting in a chair. Um, and, and that feel-good factor is what I'm willing to pay 
a nominal amount for. But I think what Apple needs to do in order to be successful with the wearables, especially in the fitness category, is define this job. And it's what they did with the iPhone originally. There were plenty of smartphones before it came along, but they defined the smartphone as being a mobile browser, a mobile music player, and uh, a, a mobile you know, app platform eventually. And and that's the thing that's missing right now from wearables is that they're, they're niche because they're very narrowly defined and it, they need to expand into more like make me feel good about my my life my 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 health or or you know th- this would be the fuzzy way of this, describing it they'll be more specific you know in their in their language but that's where i'm expecting something to happen and the reason i brought up the m7 is that it seems you don't go through that trouble of building a specific chip unless you were thinking long term about that category. So I, I'm more, as they say, incrementally positive about the wearables market coming sometime down the road for Apple. We would also like to say thank you very much to Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. They are doing something very special for you guys in September. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com, use the code Dan sent me 9 and you're going to get 20% off. What's great about these folks is they're always updating things. They've got these amazing new templates that are responsive. They look good on every single device. And they've got an amazing help system in place. 70 Squarespace employees on the customer care team. If you need help, whatever it is that you're doing, go to squarespace.com and you're going to get a real human being working with you to fix whatever it is. Don't forget about 20% off during September. Code to use. Dan sent me nine, number nine. Go check him out at squarespace.com. Well, I think that it's going to be very interesting to watch, very interesting to see. Now, my last question, and then we've, we should probably wrap up. In the past, and I, I know that uh, Horace, you and I used to talk about this. Christina, we used to talk about this. Benedict's your first time here, so we have never talked about it. But we, we sort of speculate on numbers, on numbers of sales of Let's just take the the 4S kind of out of the picture and just look at the two new phones, the 5C, the 5S. Do do you think are we going to see people lining up for this, camping out for this? What kind of numbers do you think that we're going to expect? Just keeping in mind that on Friday the 13th, it will be available for uh, pre-order through. I'm sure most of like Verizon and AT and T always have that, and of course through the Apple Store. We don't know what time it will be available yet for pre-order. But a lot of people do order it that way. And then on the 20th, at I guess 8 a.m., you're going to be able to go and walk into one of these stores and buy it. What do you folks think if you want to make predictions or guesses? Christina, we can we can start with you. What do you, what do you think? You know, I can't give a number prediction. I would say it's probably going to be in line with last year. Actually, it might be a little bit higher. Um, what's interesting is with that the this two combined, the 5C combined with the 5S? Yeah, or? I, I think it's probably going to be, yeah, a higher. Um, what's, what's actually interesting, what I think that what makes this year different is that China is available at launch this year. And so that that could skew things tremendously. I mean, you might even see a 50% increase in sales just by China being available day one alone. Um but uh, I did, yeah, there will definitely be lines, and and I, I think it'll definitely be a big hit. I mean, it's 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 interesting. You already have you have the naysayers coming out. Oh, it doesn't look any different. This or that. They say that every year with the S series devices, and actually, usually those launches tend to be bigger than the preceding launch um, for whatever yeah. reason. You know, the, the 4S was bigger than the four. The 3GS was bigger than the three. Uh, so 
especially with the fact that it'll be uh, available in China and they're going to have the colors um, and have that lower end point too. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see, you know, we're, we're looking definitely at the multi-million sold weekend, um, but I, I can't really give any number. I'll, I'll leave that to But you're, you to, think uh, you pros. think you think it'll be good? You think there'll be people lining up? You think we'll, Absolutely. people, Apple stores will be selling out? Yes, definitely. Okay. All right, Benedict, what do you think out there in the UK? What, what's your take on this? I think the selling out point specifically is interesting because it's sort of, someone's pointed out, you've got, um, I think, 95 different um, total different models on, on, on sale here what, with the five different colors and the three different colors. And you've got five variants based on LTE, different LTE bands. So 95 different SKUs. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting challenge for... Um, um, Tim Cook and his operation guys to have any of these things in stock reliably anywhere. And that may be well have been a reason why they held off on doing color before. Mm. To, your, to your point, I think it's absolutely right. Being in China will make a big difference to the overall sales in the quarter because previously it was kind of, it came out a little bit later. Um, being in China on, looks like day one will make a big difference. I think generally it looks like it's going to be up on last year. I don't, probably less in the U.S. than anywhere else because the U.S. has got that much higher penetration. It looks like it's going to drive the sales upwards. The really big imponderable, as we've been circling round and round, is how much proportion, how much better proportionately does the color $500 phone sell versus the last year's model $500 phone? That's really the big question mm-hmm. because the five will keep going up. You know, overall, the sales will keep going up. Are we going to see a iPod mini, iPod nano type surge here, even though it's at the same price? You Great could argue question. this is a new iPhone at $100 cheaper, or you could argue, well, it's still $550. Great, great answer. Okay, and last, last, Horace, what's your take on this? I know you're a numbers guy. Do you have any numbers you want to throw out? Mm, I, I, don't, I don't try to predict a on a particular day, what I what I have done is tracked these launch events in terms of generations, whether that the increase is uh, is um, significant or not. And there was from the four S to the five, there was an increase um, of of a magnitude lower than people had seen in the previous generations, but it was an increase. I don't rem- recall, maybe around fifty percent, but it used to double every year. So it was fifty percent was seen by many as a failure. Um, but I think this year we might be looking at similar numbers, though. Again, I think the answer is mostly depending on China. The, um, uh, the what I'm still curious about is whether there's there is this still this Chinese, mysterious Chinese event that we haven't, uh, I'm trying to read up on it, but I think that that they were expecting there to be a Chinese um, a launch event as well, a few hours after. Yes, yeah, so, it, so what, it's going to be at, I think, uh, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern time is when it starts. And so I'm curious what that, whether that's actually going to reveal something new about a new carrier in China. It has they, to. It has to be China Mobile. I mean, wouldn't you think? I mean, why else if, would, if, if why it else is, would it is, have? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly, it would make sense. To, a, it would make sense to announce it separately, you know, to, to kind of show respect and credence to that. And B, if they are going to be launching in China at the same time, that seems to indicate to me that, especially with their focus on all the LTE bands and all that other stuff, it seems to, to indicate to me that 
they're going after a broader Chinese market than where they've been right now, uh, which has been, you know, incredibly small. Um, so, I mean, my, my prediction is absolutely that it'll be a China mobile event. Uh, the, and that's what they'll be announcing. And that could change a, a host of things. So the, the, I was going to say the tell on this, um, I, some several people were talking about before, was who was on stage in Cupertino. Because if they're going to do a launch event in China with China Mobile, they have to have somebody important on the stage with the important guy from China Mobile, maybe. Sure. And I'm thinking back, thinking, wasn't everybody on stage in Cupertino? Tim Cook was, but yeah. was Phil Schiller on stage? Yeah. Yes, yes, he was. So, so who's going to go on stage and shake hands with a guy from China Mobile? Is there time to fly over? <laughs> probably there's not. not there's not we actually we we, we, ran the, we ran, i mean unless they have a supersonic jet maybe elon musk could have put something together uh but no a hyperloop or something no there there wasn't but um i don't know i mean maybe oppenheimer i i, I don't know um who's the guy that stands in for coo now uh that that could be the only thing i could think of uh yeah but he's never been on stage before right I, you know who knows? This is a mystery event. It never happened before this way. We'll see what what they allow, uh, what they announce, and and if it's if it's just a replay of what we've just seen, then I think there will be a lot of disappointment. But I think if if there's something new in China, then then the numbers might get a bit a bit bigger than uh, than they were last year, or quite a bit bigger. Um, so so I'm 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 saying this is a nice base hit for them. This is not. This is not a home run. This is not a triple. This uh, is not a double. It's a base hit, and that's a solid, solid uh, moving the ball forward type of uh, game. I, I think the, um, the, the there, there is a bit of disappointment. I would say that there wasn't a radical move towards the low end, but at the same time, maybe this is not a bad thing to the margins and all the other things that people measure. So. Um, so that's that's my take on on the numbers there. All right, very good, guys. So listen, let, let just do a quick thank you and uh, and wrap up the show. Christina Warren is a film girl, my old friend Christina Warren, film girl on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, you should definitely follow her there. She's a senior tech analyst over at Mashable dot com. Uh, thanks again, Christina. It was great to uh, to have you on the show, especially thanks, the last minute like that. Thank you. Bye, guys. Uh, uh, bye, Benedict Evans. Uh, you are writing over at, is it Ben-Evans? Is that the best place for people to go to, to keep up with you? Ben-Evans.com. Ben-Evans.com. Benedict Evans on Twitter. Again, these will be in the show notes. And of course, Horace Dedu, the author of a asymco.com and also tweets as a Simco on, uh, on Twitter. Thanks to both of you guys for joining me here today. I sure do appreciate it. And uh, I recommend that everybody in my audience check out the stuff that uh, that both of you are up to. Thanks again for uh, for joining me today. And of course, Hattie Cook here, recovering from her wisdom tooth surgery. Thanks for uh, helping keeping things running, even though you weren't at 100%. I sure do appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, you can follow her. She's Hattie Bird on Twitter. And uh, mainly doing work behind the scenes here at 5x5. And of course, I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter and here and everywhere else, 5x5.tv, the place to go. And if you want to, uh, you can check out the show notes for this special by going to 5x5.tv slash specials slash 22. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Be around soon with another show. Who knows? Check out 5x5.tv to see what else we offer.
Have a good one.